Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. My name is Ryan Walker and with me as always is the COVID safe Ruben Williams. How are you today, mate? I'm fantastic. Thank you, Ryan. I'm well out of Melbourne, thank goodness. I'm out of the uh, out of the restriction zone down in Lawn, so well away from, from any danger, thank goodness. But um, no, very lucky to, to still have a bit of freedom in this part of the world. Uh, very good. I'm glad the itchy cough hasn't made its way down to Lawn. Uh, so it's good to see your COVID safe. Uh, massive episode today, Rubes. Um, but before we start, mm. obviously have to give love to our good friends at Deakin University, mm. where every single course is backed by industry experts. So you can be confident that you'll get the job you want with a degree that employers want. Uh, Deakin University is progressive, real-world learning. We love it. We do love it. Um, if you want to learn more about us and who we are or want to ask us any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. You can find a link to do so in the show notes. Rubes, who have we got today? We've got a massive guest on today, Ryan. Karina Chilman, fresh off the plane from, from Tokyo. She's still in quarantine at the mm. moment. But uh, Karina is a, a physio who is currently... He's currently just finished up in a, in a COVID safe role with the Australian Olympic uh, team. But prior to that, she graduated from physio back in 2011, worked in private practice in Melbourne for six years, treating a range of different national and state level sporting teams and individuals. She then, get this right, she then toured Japan, Singapore and Australia with none other than Cirque du Soleil, not mm. as an acrobat, but as part of the, uh, the medical team. And since then... Karina has completed her master's in sports medicine at Melbourne University, and she's now doing research for Latrobe Sport, uh, as well as treating as a performance physiotherapist uh, and doing some other mentoring with other physios around the world too, Ryan, which is absolutely awesome to hear. Uh, but mo- re- most recently, as we mentioned, she's just finished up a contract with the Australian Olympic team as a COVID liaison officer in Tokyo at the Olympics. So, she had some incredible things to teach us about what actually goes on in that environment. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I uh, I loved uh, our chat with Karina. One of the big parts that I enjoyed was just hearing about the logistics of a COVID-safe Olympics uh, and just all the little things that she had to do. It sounded like you know a bit of a nightmare to be honest, but yep. just yep. how in depth they had to go to ensure you know the Olympics was safe for all yeah. our athletes. So it was, it was unbelievable. You don't, you don't hear about this stuff, Ryan, like nah. the, um, to actually understand like the intricate details is, uh, yeah. Fascinating. You know, what those spit flight people are spitting in jars in the morning. Those. Yeah. Weird. The other, the other thing that, um, caught my attention, Ryan was the, the athlete treatment process at the Olympics. So, Karina mentioned they've got a team of up to 500 athletes, 750 people in the village or in, as part of the Australian team. And they've just got people going through there all the time. They've got athletes needing treatment going through there all the time. And the way that they manage those massive amounts of teams um, was fascinating as well because it's, it's just an entire you know logistical operation to deal with that sort of scale. Yeah, absolutely. And the last one that I enjoyed was just how to juggle a portfolio career. We spoke about a lot of people in sports medicine or just sort of um, 
in those sports science sort of areas often do jump around in different roles and, and go to different events and, and things like that. Similar to what you did with uh, the, the Cricket World Cup rooms. Mm. Um, and it was just, it was quite refreshing to hear how a career like that works. So uh, very cool. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people envious of her. Um, alrighty, let's get cracking into it. Grab a pen, enjoy this chat with Karina. Karina, welcome to the Sports Grade podcast. Yeah, hello guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Our pleasure, Karina. Before we dive into everything you've been up to over in Tokyo, we want to find out about this job you had with Cirque du Soleil because that just sounds incredibly exotic. Can you tell us a bit about how did you land that role? Um, so, yeah, so I was with Cirque in the performance medicine team for a couple of years. So I was with one of their big top touring shows called Curios. So each each show is like a little independent company independent of the whole company. So there's about 44 touring shows um, prior to COVID, there was anyway. Um, So I was there for a couple of years working um, with a group of physios just to keep all of the um, artists healthy, essentially, and, you know, doing a 10 show load every single week. It was really fun, really cool. (laughs) Okay, how, is this something that was just like advertised online? You thought, oh, that'd be fun, I'll apply for that. And what are, yeah. like, do they make you jump through hoops or anything? Like, you know, what's the interview <laughs> process like? Yeah, so I saw it on, like, the APA Sports Physio Facebook group, actually. Um, and there's actually an Aussie, quite a few Aussies that work at headquarters in Montreal now. So they always post the jobs um, on all the Australian um, advertising websites as well. And then a very sort of standard interview process that was, I think, three parts. So... Yeah, you do like a clinical exam where you get interviewed by a panel of their senior sports medicine um, practitioners and they ask you like very clinical questions. And then once you get through that process, it's more like a soft skills exam with a panel as well. So, you know, your ability to communicate, work in a team, um, you know, how would you cope with, you know, being on tour and, you know, give you scenarios and you have to explain how you would manage in that environment. And then the third interview was a much more casual interview directly with the particular show that they were going to place you on. Um, And that's with like the company director and artistic director and the other physios and pretty much to see like if you would fit in because it's an environment where there's absolutely no choice. You have to work as a team (laughs) and you have to get along because you live, work, celebrate, socialize, travel, you you do everything together. So I think the first question they asked me was like, what's your favorite movie? And, um, (laughs) you know, tell us about a scenario where you had a bad experience overseas. They're really trying to suss you out as a person because you're, you're overseas for really big chunks of time, constantly moving around. So that was a, a, pretty big process the hardest thing for me was because they were all based in they're in montreal and like northern like usa and i was in melbourne and so the interviews were really weird times of day where i would normally be asleep or like just waking up so it was hard to be in the right um frame of mind um to answer questions when you're like thinking about going to bed or you've just got up at four in the morning yeah that's tough (laughs) yeah sounds like a rigorous process like if, mm. if, I, if I think of any interview I've been in, it's kind of just like 
the the latter two stages that you just spoke about not really the practical yeah. side of things mm. <laughs> they're not like testing me yeah yeah, yeah. The, that, the that's why we're not physios right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they just sort of know that you know you you know what you're talking about the actual one of the funniest parts of that process was they gave me they offered me the job on the saturday night and i signed all the contracts and everything on the sunday morning and then i played a game of basketball with some friends that afternoon i broke my foot oh (laughs) dear so (laughs) the next the next day i had to call in sick to my normal job and be like so i've broken my foot and i can't work and I'm also moving to Japan in six weeks. So I would love that. I was not their favorite person that day. Um, but yeah, it was, I think I got out of the cast like three weeks before leaving to move to Japan. So that was quite a hectic time period. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Go. That's awesome. The interview process sounds very similar to one described to us by Ermola Rosario. And she is the team manager of the Australian women's cricket team and similar sort of things like hey here's a whole bunch of scenarios that come up on tour how would you handle them Mm. and then tell us what you like and show us how well you're going to fit in because there's not too many people on tour and they've all got to get along so you know you know what's your favorite movie becomes a very important question for those types of situations yeah (laughs) and and the environment is really different depending on like what country you're in, because, you know, if you're working in Melbourne, mm. you know that you have an abundance of experts in every single area and a really big like list of people. Or, you know, if there's an emergency scenario, you know that you call an ambulance sort of thing. Whereas when you're on tour, you really have to be relying on like what's in your inner circle and um, know that the people that you're working with, you need to put like your so much trust in them so it it is a really different environment and some people thrive in it and and some people they hate it and they don't last very long yep yeah definitely well one of the incredible scenarios you found yourself in is over in tokyo just recently i know i was really looking forward to planning a trip to to tokyo 2020 a couple years ago and a lot of people would have loved to be there uh you got this what incredible opportunity to go over and work with the australian olympic team um firstly like i'd love to know like where were you and how did you react when you found out you would be going to tokyo (laughs) um yeah it was a pretty um pretty crazy phone call um i work with uh, quite a big research team in a um, female athlete health study and the position i was in was called covid liaison officer um so they had a senior COVID liaison officer who was Kate Marnie from the New South Wales Institute of Sport and she'd been working with Ian Chesterman and the AOC and then the role essentially grew and grew and grew and they realised that they were going to need additional people to help with the physical amount of workload that was coming through in order to fulfil the role and, and they offered it to me and Kate and I worked on that along with some other people in the lead up to the game so there was quite a big um pre-games preparation load to essentially um follow the requirements to ensure a covid safe olympics and then while we were on the ground in tokyo it was you know managing all of the um day-to-day covid related um things and liaising with all the sports to make sure that they understood what they needed to do and helping um you know plan so that everyone knew what was happening so yeah it was quite a um yeah, quite a strange process of, of how it happens, but I think that's 
pretty much any any role that pops up in sport now. It's it's not always the um, advertised role online. It's sometimes right place, right time, and you've got to make a really quick decision that like, yes, I am 100% in and I can start working with you from tomorrow because you need someone to, to do this right now. Um, and, and, you know, we have a really good working relationship and can sort of safely know that we can rely on each other to do what needs to be done. And so- that, you know, she knew that I could pretty much pack up and go and that my other employers would probably be okay with it um, yeah because it was it's going to be seven weeks away total by the mm. time i get home wow. it's a decent period of time it's yeah. um it's probably not the role that you would have envisioned you'd be going to tokyo to do stayed two years ago now like the role wouldn't yeah. exist and won't exist probably at the next olympics like how weird is that well, we hope not we are oh, well if it yeah. is there goes Paris roads. Uh, <laughs> but um, um yeah, for yeah. sure. Weird one. What um what are like the day to day things you had to do? Like you mentioned obviously keeping everyone sort of COVID safe, but are there any sort of like really interesting things that you had to do in that role? <laughs> yeah, there was a few. So in, in the lead up, it was like working with all of the sports so that they understood what was being put in place by Tokyo and, oh, and yeah. how, like, especially with, you know, a really big group of athletes, you know, for example, that has, you know, 60 athletes that are coming over and all of their staff and, and how they're actually going to help manage the logistics of, of what needs to be done in order to get into the country and then and abide by the rules. And, and you know, Australia Australians are a really, really diligent country and you know we weren't doing all of the precautions and the COVID testing and everything every day just to follow the rules we were doing it because we wanted to be safe um and we wanted to know that we were being really cautious with everything because you know we we definitely didn't want anyone to you know a get sick or b um you know have to be withdrawn from an event because they were a close contact or they contracted COVID um while we were in the village with you know 11,000 people from you know all corners of the globe um but on a day-to-day basis so everyone had to be COVID tested every single day um and we had to do some temperature checking and inputting that on an app and some daily health symptom reporting um and you know just the general COVID safety measures like maintaining a bubble within the Australian team so really limiting any interaction with other people in the village as best as you can um you know, always wearing a mask and making sure that we had that, you know, really planned out so that everyone had plenty and everyone was, you know, happy to, you know, if you saw someone not wearing a mask, you know, you're not telling them off, you're, you're keeping them safe and, um, you know, maintaining that sort of social distancing as best you can in an environment like that because you don't actually have that much space um, and we have a really big team. So the, the day-to-day things were um, quite, quite funny at some times because it was a daily saliva test um and everyone had to spit in these tubes every single day and then they had to all be collated and then delivered to a submission center so i never thought in my life that i would be you know dealing with with that, that, collecting that saliva <laughs> collecting <laughs> saliva exactly but um not just you just saliva, have to love gold medal saliva God, that's what we were saying we were like gee this saliva might be um worth self, something one day <laughs> Um, <laughs> put, that, put that on eBay. Put that on the dark web. Someone will buy it. Um, but it, it was it was a really good system, and and um, and then coordinating the departure 
um, COVID testing as well in order to get everyone back into Australia or to whatever country they were going on to next. So yeah, every, every person was tested every single day. And then in the lead up to leaving, some days we were doing multiple tests a day um, in order to make sure that we had the appropriate um, certifications to leave yeah. leave the country. So, yeah, it was it was quite funny. Uh, they 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 did a really good job. Tokog at um, you know that's that's I can't even do the maths of how many thousands of tests they turned over on top mm. of the Japanese public as well yeah. that they were having a yeah, thing. But but it was you were really in a bubble in the village, and then we maintained an Australian bubble quite well as well, um, mm. and everyone was really diligent with that. How, how many people were part of the entire Australian team, including their staff and athletes? I think it was around 750. 750, gosh. Yeah, but not I, everyone was there at the same time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people were at various sort of sub-sites, so like surfing mm. and sailing, golf, yeah. football was in a different area. Um so yeah, there was quite a lot of sports that weren't necessarily all in the village. And, and unfortunately, some of those sports, they didn't get to come to the village. So it would have been a really different um, different experience for them going into Tokyo. But it was a safety thing, you know. You know, they're safer in their village subsite than they would be here. So it was a hard call. But, um, mm. you know, they we had no problems. So yep. it was good. Yeah. So when you're dealing with a team of that size and you've got athletes who need you know, medical treatment um, to get prepared for their events. What sort of like um, preparation goes into the logistics of getting that medical center set up? Um, For example, I've uh, done a tour with the New Zealand women's cricket team and they had a physio travel with them. And uh, basically it was, you know, grab the physio table, grab the medical kit bag, chuck it under the bus, go to the next place, set it up because, you know, we got a team of about, 18 girls to, to look after and that and that was it yeah whereas with you guys you've got up to 750 people there's a few people on on deck and you've got all these restrictions in place as well what sort of preparation do you have to do in advance to get that medical center set up um so the the, the medical teams were sort of set depending on the sports themselves so a lot of the sports for example the bigger team sports they would have their own medical staff that they work with full-time so you know like the Matildas and the soccer and the basketball they are they are a physio and doctor and massage and dietitian that work with that sport on a daily basis and they've been there for the whole preparation and they're with them so they are essentially very much in-house and and they can manage things and and they're really all over it um from from their own sport perspective then in the village there was the medical hq um which had um our chief medical officer david hughes who coordinated that medical team um and that consisted of physios doctors nurses general practitioners um, remedial massage therapists performance services psychology dietetics nutrition like you name it it was there and and they were there people from the state and national institutes of health and sport um and they could be accessed by anyone so um, and there was just a booking system so those sports people or the teams could book certain times to use recovery or gym or access sort of any of those performance services or medical services as they needed um 
and they had just an absolutely incredible group of people working in that medical team. It was such an enjoyable group to work with um, on a daily basis and they just, you know, you couldn't get a better group. And then, you know, as needed, the teams that already had their medical teams, they could call on that group if they needed a second opinion or they had an issue that they needed or they needed imaging or something like that. Um, in the Olympic Village, there's also like the big polyclinic, which is essentially like a pseudo hospital in the middle of the village that you could access additional medical care like MRIs or doctors and things like that. I would say it was quite rare that anyone from the Australian team used the polyclinic, um, except for you know emergency MRIs or all those type of things because we had such an amazing group of people, which is another element of keeping our athletes um, safe because that polyclinic could be considered a really high risk area because of so many people coming in and out from all the different countries and all the different sports. So um, yeah, the, the planning is definitely not like when you're traveling with your, your sports team and you pick up your physio table and your medical bag <laughs> on the other shoulder and you walk in, they had absolutely everything that you could, you could possibly require. And, um, yeah, they, they did a really amazing job and, you know, just listening to the way that some of the sports spoke about the medical team, it, it, it's really warms your heart. What a wonderful service they were providing, um, under sometimes trying conditions. The, um, the booking system you just mentioned, because my next question was going to be, you know, how do you, like, what's the process behind treating the entire team, which I don't know, athletes, I think it was like nearly 500. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine you'd have to be working pretty much around the clock to, in order to service 500 athletes. Were there literally appointments being made in all hours of the night? Um, for, for the medical clinic, um, they, they did work some pretty crazy hours, the doctors and nurses and physios and remedial massage in that HQ medical clinic, because obviously some sports wouldn't finish till really late and some were going out to training really early in the morning. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it was seeing sort of excess from a team sport, for example, you know, they might not bring three massage, um, therapists, but they might want every single player might need some type of remedial massage treatment. So they sort of had very, very efficient system of knowing when was going to be the peak times and what sports were happening and planning to have multiple staff on at that time. And, um, you know, I would say I don't think anyone went without. Yeah. I think they had just such good planning and systems in place that, um, you know, they were able to manage those really peak times. And, and it was good in that... Um, you know, yes, there was that 500 or so group of athletes, but they were not all there at the same time. Yeah. So as soon as the swimming finished, the swimmers all left and then it was like eerily quiet. Where is everyone? <laughs> where, where is there? Where is this huge group of people? Um, so it was, um, you know, the ebbs and flows of everything as, as per normal. How is your time split between the work that you're doing in the athlete village and the work at some of the stadiums and what determined, you know, what venue might you might go to for a day? Um, so we were pretty much solely based in the village um, and it was managing everything there because we were also managing, helping out the subsites with their daily requirements and any issues that cropped up with their daily testing um, being not in the village because they did have, you know, slightly different 
facilities. Um, it was just trying to be as organised as you could to know what was going to be coming up in the next couple of days, who was arriving, who was leaving, because there was a constant, you know, departure arrival schedule. So when the people were arriving, you needed to have a plan to meet with them to prepare them for, you know, what we needed them to do every day and then planning, well, when are you leaving or when are you potentially leaving to pre-plan in advance coordinating their departure um, certifications and things like that as well. So definitely mainly in the village. Um, the only reason why we would go out to a venue was to sort of see what the processes were like there, um, you know, how they were managing traffic flow, if we needed to make any sort of commentary on things that potentially were quite high risk um, and to advise the athletes, you know, related. And, and you know, if there was a, a quieter day to, to go and watch and support, you know, something that you really wanted to see, which was really great to be able to get out there. But that was very, very quite rare um, because we were so busy. But um, we were lucky enough to be able to go and watch one or two things um, and, and sort of support the team and then sort of come straight back to the village. Was there a favourite moment you got to experience? Oh, there, there were so many, um, <laughs> so many special moments at that Olympics. I think also being there and living it, it's just this palpable energy coming through everyone and just the absolute genuine enthusiasm that everyone feels for every single other person there there was probably um you know i really loved when um ash maloney got his bronze medal bronze medal in the um decathlon and had his friend cedric there supporting him on like it was just such a show of sportsmanship and it, it was just so exciting to watch um and then watching you know the swimming just how successful and you know in particular our female swimmers were um, and they were just the most humble lovely kind group of um, athletes as well and they're just like crazy superstars and the boomers winning the bronze medal was such a huge moment um, and the energy after that was yeah it was it was pretty fun but yeah there was some really like special um, special moments as well and you know Harry Garside in the boxing just what what an absolute legend I think he's going to become a bit of an Australian icon and mm. definitely a name to watch he was just just one of the genuinely coolest people I've ever seen in my life and he just was <laughs> he was living for being there he was loving it and everyone was loving him and yeah it was it was really um there was lots of moments like that and also one of my like best friends actually competed in the marathon. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so nice. she's a physio as well and we studied together and have been friends for a long time. So it was pretty cool that we were both at the Olympics. So it was also really Do you, um, do you bother surreal. going for runs with her or just let her be? Oh, no. I made the mistake of going for a run in the village because you could sort of run laps and I got lapped mm. by the Kenyans twice. <laughs> Oh, well, I was like, oh, there they cool go again. <laughs> uh, it was very uncool at the time. I was like, I can't believe I just got lapped twice in like 600 metres. <laughs> but yeah, they were probably the highlights. Um, a lot of highlights. I could probably keep talking, but... Mm. Yeah, nice. Well, yeah, it sounds like there'd be countless highlights. Um, what about some challenges? Well, I, I was going to say lowlights, but there, there wouldn't be any lowlights at the Olympics. But what was the most challenging thing about working there? Um, I 
think probably towards the end, because you, you are there for quite a long time, and also there was quite a big lead-in period um, where we're working a lot as well, that by the end you're just very, very tired um, and you're quite fatigued and you, you sort of maybe um, haven't been sleeping well. And, and for the first couple of weeks, you're definitely working a little bit on adrenaline and how fun it all is and how exciting it all is. And then by the end, you can sort of tell that, you know, everything's getting a little bit harder and you're a lot more fatigued. So that was quite a big challenge, just knowing that we've been here for three weeks and we've still got quite a while to go and quite a busy period and a time where you, you're really conscious of not letting your guard down and letting things slide because, you know, if someone was to test positive for COVID in that environment towards the end of the Olympics, it could jeopardise, could have jeopardised everyone's ability to return home because you wouldn't be allowed on your flight back to Australia, essentially. So it was the biggest challenge was probably um, trying to manage that fatigue. And, and that was definitely a big learning for me was, um, you know, I was often being told, oh, it's a bit of a quieter afternoon or quieter morning tomorrow. Like, why don't you have a sleep in or go for a rest or take some time? And I was like, no, I don't want to. I want to push through and keep working. And in hindsight, I probably should have... Um, listened when my my supervisors were sort of telling me to take some time and I was like why I don't need rest because by the end I was like I wish I had that sleep in on that Tuesday two weeks ago kind of thing <laughs> yeah well I, I can imagine the combination of high stakes and fatigue would uh will get most people so um I think you can be forgiven <laughs> yeah it, but um you know the funniest thing was everyone you know was just so willing to help out or pitch in in busy times so you know it was probably another thing was just like learning to ask ask people for help um and you know we had you know some of the you know leading sports doctors around australia sitting there at midnight with me helping label saliva tubes for the groups arriving the next day and and they're just doing that out of you know that they acknowledge that this is a really big job and and they want to pitch in because they didn't have an event that night and and you know you really appreciate those people for doing that because they they didn't have to do it it's not their their role but they were all willing to um to help out when needed um and how did you guys like communicate with all the team managers of the of the different sports was there you know, um, a morning meeting to explain this is what's happening? Was there a WhatsApp group to everyone? Like, how, how does that work? Um, yeah, so the communication pathways were all set up in advance by, like, the Australian Olympic Committee because they've been communicating with sports for a really long time about virtually anything Olympic-related, especially over the last two years. Um, so we just would use those same, same pathways. So, you know, it was mainly done via teams so communicating with a teams app that had the appropriate people on it and everyone knew um these were the certain channels that you would use for for various information and um all the sports liaisons that work 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 with the sports um they were really really great to work with they they're in their jobs for a reason and that's because they are very organized people who just get things done so um, they were really great to, to work with. And the communication stuff, we didn't have to have a lot of communication every single day. Once they knew what was happening and they knew how to do it, they were essentially just running their own show and we would just be there to help if, if problems cropped up or they needed advice or, or something like that. But once they were in the flow and the routine, um, they were very good at just getting it done because we had to. 
And how do you think um, being a physio prepared you for the role? Um, I think, you know, part of being a physio or working with sport and things like that is being really organised. Um, you know, no matter what team I've ever travelled with or um, sports things or even working in a clinic, like you, you constantly working on a quite a strict schedule and being really organised and planning things in advance was really helpful, but also understanding what those sports are doing. So being able to talk with the sports doctors and sports physios and sports liaisons and speaking their language, sort of understanding a little bit more about that balance between, you know, we need to abide by these requirements, but, you know, you are also trying to prepare for a absolute, the height of performance as well. And, and, being able to speak to them in their language, I think, was was really helpful. Um, and, you know, as a physio, you have a background in health. You understand public health. You understand public health policy and the importance of um, these public health parameters that were put in place to manage athlete safety. And, and you've worked in medical teams. You've worked as part of a um, multidisciplinary team, hopefully for a really long time, in whatever setting that you're working in as a physio. So you, you effectively have worked as a team, if you're in a hospital, if you're in private practice, if you're with a sports team. So, so those sort of things, um, you know, whereas if you had come from a non-health background, but your experience was purely in logistics, you would be great at, um, you know, managing the day-to-day logistics planning, but you mightn't have that experience working in health with sport. Hopefully that answered your question in a roundabout yeah. way. No, um, absolutely. But yeah, it was quite funny. Everyone would be like, how, how, like, how did you get this job? And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm, and there, a few people I knew who were physios that I'd worked with before, they were like, you're a physio still, aren't you? <laughs> and I was like, yes. No, well, um, I mean, valid question. But my next one was like, what, what things can people do to open up these kind of opportunities? Because as you said, like, you are a physio and you've just been the COVID liaison person for the olympics um you know how can people find these opportunities to step into a different role every now and again yeah well i think that was like my sort of mindset so uh, when covid hit last year like we quite suddenly lost our jobs with Cirque du Soleil just because the company you know essentially internationally had no revenue so it was quite a you know i think we found out we were cancelled on a thursday and on the sunday we were all essentially unemployed so um and i didn't know what i was going to do um so i went back to full-time study to finish my masters and then kind of my mindset was to explore what other opportunities are out there for a physio who might not necessarily want to be full-time clinical um anymore so i started working in a research team at latrobe university which is really really great and the skills you learn is it's again you're working as a part of a really big team but in a really different way to sort of essentially get a job done that's you know going to hopefully contribute to the wider sports medicine knowledge base um and you just see the mountains of work that goes behind producing a piece of research so um that's been a really eye-opening thing and then I just sort of was like you know what other opportunities can pop up and and see what's what's out there so I sort of tried to expand my horizons a little bit and that's also why I did that master's in sports medicine um because some of the subjects 
that you could choose they they really open up um different areas of of your skill set to use so you know looking at how to do evaluations and how to do um you know gap analysis to figure out a problem and and what you might do to try and fix that problem in in your industry or in your area of clinical practice so um yeah it's it's i think physios um have many many skills that they develop over a really long period that can be adapted into so many different areas um it just depends what you what you want to do and and seeing what's out there and you know if you when you're doing professional development it doesn't always have to be okay like this ankle course this knee course this shoulder course those things are great but you know if you were to look at different sort of leadership programs and you know different non-clinical things that might develop your experiences in a different way then I think you'll realize that you know if, if you're looking to not work in a clinic anymore um, then your skills are really applicable to a wide variety of things obviously the clinic working in a clinic is great like you're just hanging out with people <laughs> all day helping them achieve their goals you know doing lots of exercise based things it's it's really really fun um, but you know I've been doing it for sort of 10 years and and I was ready for a bit of a change so I don't know what's I- next though <laughs> Well, that, that's probably uh, an exciting thing, and I think um, uh, I think the health um, industry or people working in health seem to have done this for a lot longer, in terms that they seem to have more of a portfolio career where they might do a couple of days here, one day there. They seem to have split their time well across different places, and it and it's a lot more normal. Yeah, um, and I think that's like good a good reminder for other people that you know you can juggle your time across the course of a year or however long to do little contracts here and there, part-time work here, freelance work there. Um, and even in operations, like there are people who are going around working uh, in the operations of different tournaments for, you know, six, seven weeks of the year, then yeah. doing some other event work on the side or doing uh, some consulting in between that or the whole way through. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's uh, – when you do get a bit of a circuit breaker like that, it, it kind of you know forces you to get creative, yeah. but then you realize actually there's so many options to do a lot of different things, which can be quite enjoyable. Yeah, and I think that's such a good way to put it. I think COVID has been that for, for a lot of people, like a real circuit breaker in deciding you know what they actually want to do and, and where they want to live their life essentially. But, but I think you know health and sport is is a really big industry it's it's so massive that you don't not everyone that works in that is a healthcare practitioner they have there has to be those people who've come from business finance all of those areas but sometimes they need there's a really big opportunity for people who do come from a health or sport background to upskill in other areas like the business side and the planning side and the operation side because then they have both sides of the of the coin because I do think there is quite a difference in your mentality and your goals of how you want to do things and sometimes it can be really one-sided or really the other side and so having like experience in both is really helpful because you can see from the clinical perspective that well, actually, in real time, when you're working with this sport, that actually doesn't work. Or in the operations side, you're working with the people who are saying clinically this doesn't work, and they're saying, well, logistically, we have to make it work for X, Y, and Z. Um, 
so I think I think lots of people are now sort of branching out and doing MBAs and different mm. areas and public health masters and and um, different things like that to really you know bridge that gap between operations and health mm. yeah so you've just had this like incredible once in a lifetime experience in Tokyo. Uh, have you had the chance to reflect on it yet? And if so, what, what sort of things are you taking away from it? Uh, well, definitely um, hotel quarantine. <laughs> if it gives you one thing, it's a lot of thinking time. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely a few, a few particular things, just how really lucky I have been to be able to do some of the things in, in my career and in particular prior to COVID with traveling really freely and um, moving around constantly and having the ability to take up opportunities almost on a whim at times. Um, and, and now knowing that, that travel is quite limited and it is really hard to come back to Australia, it definitely changes your decision-making um, about, you know, ducking off overseas to do a contract for a couple of weeks. It, it's actually um, much harder now, but, um, yeah, the, the main thing is just how lucky I have been and to how, you know, how much you just really have to appreciate every moment of those opportunities and that the people you work with and, um, and you know, that definitely it's such a cliche, but like teamwork makes the dream work um, <laughs> because you, you could, you can't do everything alone and you're a very small piece of a really big puzzle and um and you know if you can work effectively in a group and communicate with a really big variety of people um that you, you know you, the opportunities will sort of pop up from time to time let alone doing that within the australian olympic team of, of all teams yeah it, it's it's still um it, it was such a whirlwind to be there and you know, you sort of had to arrive and, you know, the day I arrived, I actually hadn't met anyone that I was working with. So I'd been working remotely really? from, wow. from Melbourne. Um, even um, Kate, who was my supervisor um, there, she was working from Sydney and I hadn't seen her in person for a couple of years. So I didn't meet anyone and had only spoken to a few people online and was doing the role and then landed and had to sort of walk in and be like, hi, I'm Karina. And, you know, you know, you're wearing a mask and a hat and everyone's like, oh, <laughs> um, that's what you look like. Yeah. Um, so, so that was, you know, pretty funny to, to arrive and realize all these people I've been working with for months online, we're now all in the same building and we're meeting them on day one in the Olympic Village. Wow. Kind of felt like that when we went back to the office. You know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's what you look like. I remember that. Like, all good. <laughs> yeah. It's um, definitely like working from home is, it's so nice in so many ways. But then going into the office now, you really appreciate, you're like, oh, people. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. It's good yeah. seeing people again. It's hard getting any work done, though, when you haven't been in because everyone just wants to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon I was less efficient from the office. You just, yeah, you're right. You just speak to people. It's like school. Just constantly yeah. speaking to people. <laughs> yeah, I, I love. To, I'd go back to Year Twelve in a flash if, if I could. <laughs> I would. Oh, me too. I would. I would love to go back to Year Twelve. <laughs> uh, well, maybe not Year Twelve during COVID though. Yeah, that would be oh, a nightmare. Yeah. Different year. Yeah. 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 Our normal year would have been fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
All right, Karina, we'll, we'll leave it there. But um, it's been absolutely great speaking to you and, and hearing about your journey from Cirque du Soleil to the Australian Olympic team, the pinnacle, uh, and all things in between being a physio. But um, it's been great getting all the insights from what it was like over in Tokyo. There's uh, millions of people who, who would have loved to be there um, and are very envious of, of your role there as well. So thanks so much for, for sharing all you did tonight and um, good luck for whatever's next in your chapter. Well, there you have it. Karina Chilman, that was a really good chat and a great insight into the Tokyo Olympics um, and her role as COVID liaison officer. Rubes, some takeaways from you. Yeah, right. Well, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was, you know, the size, scale and pressure and the, the stakes of what Karina was dealing dealing with. And so with all that in mind, she mentioned teamwork is like the number one thing that uh, pulls all together and allows the whole thing to function properly without anybody, you know, collapsing or falling over through burnout or whatever. Um, and so I think for, for me, like just hearing what, that team had to go through and how they had to work together and the importance of it uh, really stood out for me as, as something that, you know, if you want big operations to happen on a grand scale with high stakes, teamwork is probably the most important thing to make that an effective thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think teamwork, I reckon, would be on every single job application or it would be in some mm. sort of some form of questioning that you're going to get in an interview when have you worked mm. in a team so i totally agree it's one of the the main takeaways that i'd be i'll be running with after this mm. um mine was just and i know i said it in the intro but just open your horizons with a portfolio career um you know if you, if you want to work in a specific area of sport doesn't mean you have to earmark that as your entire career um, there's opportunities to bounce around and, and do short-term jobs and also pursue a long-term job. Like she was a perfect example of how, you know, she worked in the in Cirque du Soleil and then transitioned to Tokyo. So, um, you know, that says it all in terms of a portfolio career. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then final one for me, Ryan, is get to Paris 2024. The Olympics is going to be on, obviously. So make sure you're there for that, that. But then Ryan, sports grad is also going to be there. We're going to be there holding the sports grad conference as a way to connect the entire sports industry from around the world uh, and give students, grads, people in the industry the chance to connect with new people and form those relationships that hopefully led to lead to jobs and opportunities just like Karina has experienced. She told us mm-hmm. off air that you know she met the person who hired her you know, in New York having drinks at a bar. So perhaps there might be someone out there that you meet having drinks at the Sports Craig Conference in 2024 that takes you to LA 2028. I don't know. Who mm. knows, Ryan, maybe. But if you want to get involved in that, uh, check out our LinkedIn page. There's some details around how to register your interest there. Yeah, I've heard some rumors. It's being touted as one of the, the greatest conferences in, in sports history. So... Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, right. Get, right get there. So as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's going to be huge. Um, alrighty. Well, um, that wraps up today. Um, mm. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn. We'd love to chat with you on there. 
Um, you can find a, a link in the show notes.